Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Decided Heart Conversations. It is 2021. Happy New Year. Uh, <laughs> we have an amazing guest, Chris Rebus, who is going to share some tips on how we can connect with our kids in really meaningful ways. Chris is a proud parent of an autistic child, a parent coach, speaker, author, and founder of You From Home. And he has been recognized as a leading parenting expert, helping parents of high-functioning autistic kids put the pieces all together and have this, and I love what you say about this, Chris, like have this rad life. That's when I know that you're my people when you say rad. <laughs> How do we have this rad life as a family? So Chris, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. So happy that you're with us. A little bit more. Yeah. I, I mean, I love that. Rad. I have to tell you, she's not lying because she always talks about being the wow factor. So like nice. rad, yep. her language in particular, but I, I, you're welcome in my friend. Welcome right in. On. So I would love to hear more about what brought you into doing what you, what you do now. Tell us about yourself, your journey, and really that decided heart moment of, Hey, this is where I need to be. This is my purpose. This is my mission. Yeah, I'd be honored to. It's it's and it's non-logical like these things usually are. So I have a about a 30-year uh, tech career and really successful one, really thankful for that. But about uh, 11 years ago, uh, my son was born and he's on the autism spectrum and struggled with some other things. And, you know, as, as one of those parents, I went through just about everything, right? As a parent that cares for your kiddos, we try everything and anything. And there's not a lot of certainty until I found, you know, a, a a path that works for him and work for so many other kids. But the pivot really wasn't just that. It was, you know, thinking what my mom taught me, a really strong connection with my mom, my entire life. She passed a few years ago, but she's still with me. And uh, my mom, just to shine a little light on that, in her 60s, she went back to school instead of retiring, got a master's in divinity and became a hospice chaplain to the day she was diagnosed with cancer. That's just how she was and how I grew up. And I just, you know, I was looking at my career, I'm in my early fifties now, just like, is this what I want to finish with? Or should I use all these cool things I've been, I've learned and use how I was brought up to serve other families. And so, you know, making that pivot now, you're catching me mid pivot. I still have that nine to five and I'm doing this as well, but that will be my full-time career and focus. And my goal is to serve you know, at least a thousand families a year um, and step that up as it scales and in a really genuine way. So it's, it's so exciting. And when I do it, um, I feel my mom with me, like feel it in my hands, feel it in my heart. And I know I'm in the right space. So it's, it's really obvious right now that I'm in the zone doing it and, uh, and it's fun. It feels so great to serve and see the results and share, you know, what I've learned the hard way, a lot of it as a parent and then collapse that time, you know, so parents don't have to go through 10 years of what I did to know how to serve their kiddos. It's, I can get in there pretty quickly. And thanks to lots of brilliant people at Harvard and their neuroscience, they did all the hard work. I'm just packaging it and, and getting it to parents so they can use it. But yeah, that's been my decided heart moment. And, um, you know, certainly took a lot of courage. I support my kiddos. I'm the, I'm the breadwinner for the family. You know, all that stuff comes up. Um, you know, as we make it, but it's always the right choice, right? Coming from our hearts and, and doing, serving others. So yeah, that's, that's what I'm doing and why I made the pivot and excited to share that with people. 
I have to, it's so funny, Sonia. I, I, I'm, I feel like he is the combination of so many things that we've been talking about in 2020. Chris, it's just magic because we've been talking about Ikigai a lot. And I don't know if you know much about Ikigai, but it's like, you are that thing that you're good at, that you love doing, that is your purpose for the world and that you can also make a living doing. And you found that right in, in what you're doing. And it's, I love hearing your words. And then we're also reading a book right now that's called Cassandra Speaks. And it's all about um, really the old letting go of the old ways of looking at masculine and feminine and mm. embracing the fact that empathy doesn't just have to be a female brand and how right. much, how the world can be. So, so I love the fact that you're connecting with your mom. I love the fact that you're bringing what you are, who you are as a person and as a male and as a father into like, well, look, it doesn't just have to stay here. And I'm going to use neuroscience as well and all of these things to help reach families and children and help them know there's a different way. And so as I'm, as I'm thinking about all of this together, where do you even start trying to uncover this neuroscience? And it sounds very complicated. Yeah, it well, it does at first. Um, some awesome people have made it simpler, and it's my job to make it even more simpler. So what I do is called the RAD protocol. I use that word. The first part of RAD is R for receive, which is empathy. And um, I'll give just a really quick primer on how our brain works, because yeah. that, that kind of lines it all up together. And if someone listening is a brain surgeon, my apologies, my fidelity won't be perfect. <laughs> For the rest of us that aren't brain surgeons, it, it'll all make sense, Perfect. right? <laughs> Including me. So um, all of our senses come in through the base of our brain. So see, hear, feel, touch, all route into the same place called our reticular activating system, okay? Big word. Think of it as a Google filter. So it's filtering out, think of a busy coffee shop and you walk in, there's a coffee machine going off. Let's pretend it's not COVID. Coffee machine going off, lots of people talking around. There's sound, there's a lot going on in that place. And if we took all that in at once, right, it'd be, it'd be overwhelming, right? We'd be panicked, but our RAS filters that out and we were able to focus on certain things at a time. When we're in stress or that RAS perceives stress, and that's important because whether the event really happens or their brains think it happens, it's a stressful event. The RAS is doing its job. It's trying to protect the species it routes you to fight or flight. It routes you to your amygdala and fight, flight, or freeze, which is the base kind of primitive part of our brains. Uh, the cortisol pumps up, the adrenaline pumps up. And what's really interesting in this is in fight, flight, or freeze, it's sort of like if the power was off in your block and you're trying to turn the light switch on and off, that would be, we'd kind of laugh at people doing that. But we do that. We try to talk to our kids when they're in fight, flight, or freeze, their prefrontal cortex is off, just like the power off in a street. You can't turn it on by flipping the switch more or yelling more, asking them to listen more. Uh, the way you do it is empathy. And what the neuroscience shows, which is just, I just get excited about every time. And when I work it with my kid, it's like magic with my clients too. Empathy helps everyone get out of fight, flight, or free, fight, flight, freeze. So kids on the spectrum, kids with ADHD, no fault of their own. They go to fight, flight, freeze a lot. It's a skill gap. It's something they're born with. They can't help it. You as a parent can't help it. Right? They're not doing anything wrong or bad. It's just how they're born. Um, and they get stuck and, and they can't easily get unstuck. And so what the RAD protocol does with empathy and a few other things is it literally trains their brain, uh, it literally creates new neural pathways. So when that stressor comes in, whatever it is, instead of going to fight, flight, freeze, they've got a path to their prefrontal cortex and they can reason. 
And it's just, it's a really simple, beautiful process that you do with your kids. Um, the connection is way stronger with our kiddos after it. Um, our kiddos get way more resilient, right? They're learning how to handle things because we know the world's going to throw more at us. Um, so our ability to be resilient is big. And I can tell you the ideas our kids come up with are amazing. I mean, my son for sure, but all the clients I serve, they've got amazing minds and amazing ability to solve problems given the chance. So long answer to your question, but, but empathy really changes the brain chemistry, literally both for the parent and the kiddo, because um, we calm down. We're not upset and angry. We're coming from a space of understanding, really meeting them where they're at you know, hey, I get it's really scary that Thor's in the room. We all know Thor's not in the room. Don't need to argue about that. Don't need to make him wrong. But for that kiddo, let's, let's make up that they think Thor's in the room. Wow, that must be really scary. What's that feel like? Right. That's a different conversation than arguing with them about Thor in the room and hey, you're lying. And by the way, doing that, they'll be able to let go of that fantasy stuff, right? So super long answer to your question, but empathy is really magical and how it changes our brain chemistry, both us and our kiddos. I'm really resonating to this because, um, so in my line of work, I, I help parents and teenagers through life after high school. And oh yeah, that whole conversation is heightened in terms of anxiety. Um, and I'm really feeling for the parents. Parents usually, they start to hear, and, and I co I'm constantly coaching them, like try to filter out all the noise, just like you mm. said, the coffee shop. So much noise is happening during this time frame, and I see parents are the first to freak out and panic. Yes. And they're allowing all this noise to filter in, and then they're trying to connect and coach their their teen right. through it all. And so um, I'm really resonating with the parents learning these skills and understanding that neuroscience dynamic. Because you're right, if we're the leaders in our kids' lives, and we're expecting our kids to, you know, kind of say, "Oh, we just have to calm down," and you know, like find the empathy. Well, and we must first do that within our ourselves right. as well, right? Absolutely. You have to model it. Yep. They learn from modeling more than anything we all ever say, for sure. They do. And I, I'm, I have a, I have a kiddo too, that, that um, similar situation, Chris, just, just that has some, some, I, I always say we, we jokingly and lovingly in our house call, house call it the alphabet soup, uh -huh. you know, where yep. it's, <laughs> um, and, and so I remember one time having a conversation with my husband because he was like, I just don't understand. And I said, you know, it's funny because if someone has a broken leg, we don't tell them to get up and walk on it. But when right. we can see it, I, the only thing I could liken it to is I said, imagine you are super, super drunk. You would never say, or if someone else was, you would never turn around and say, sober up and get behind the wheel and drive. Right. But yet emotionally, that's what's going on is emotionally we're drunk on the emotion and you can't just be like sober up and drive. Right. Know? Exactly. Right. Yeah. That's a great analogy. Yep. I say the similar thing. We, I, I will talk about like the wheelchair on the inside, exact same pattern you're talking about. If a kiddo was in a wheelchair, we wouldn't expect for them to walk, right? Yeah. That'd be, that'd be mean and cruel. Right. We, may, we might want to set them up for physical therapy and, you know, help that possibility happen if it could, but it's not a, you know, do this or else or get over it type of situation. It's just, it's harder to see that wheelchair on the inside, right? Yeah. And then Chris, you know, in terms of the neuroscience and of course, like understanding it, is that something that you actually communicate with? As a parent with your children, like you educate them on that, on the neuroscience and what's biologically happening. Is that helpful? I do. I do. And so um, I do that because a lot of us, we go on autopilot as parents, no fault of our own, right? We have a, a family of origin and we generally, our go-to is what our parents did or what we experienced. 
And that's not always science backed, right? Um, and again, everyone's doing the best they can. There's no fault here, but knowing the science and knowing how the plumbing works, um, especially for people that are left brain, like I am, like I love facts. I love double blind studies. And that, that evidence helps me move. And a lot of parents are that way too. That, that helps because empathy, you know, for good, bad, or indifferent, sometimes for guys, we're like, oh, that's, you know, that's wimpy, like we're giving in or something like that, which absolutely isn't true. And the science kind of helps connect for, for guys and, and women too, but guys, we have this thing, just being honest, um, it helps us get past that. There's some science, it shows how it works, and then we try it and it really works. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, so I do teach that um, at a, just enough so people get it and um, can use it and be aware of how their kiddos' brains work, awesome. um, and also help them be aware that kids' brains don't fully form till they're about twenty-five. Mm -hmm. So if we're having the expectation that we're talking to another adult, that's probably the wrong expectation to have. Yeah. Yeah, we often judge. I feel like sometimes we judge kids on having all the experiences and all the things right. that we know, like we forget to go back and remember when we knew nothing. Right. <laughs> and some days I still feel that's me. Um, do you, <laughs> when you have the, the RAD, the R-A-D, can mm -hmm. you tell us what that, you started sort of talking about what that stands for. I, I'm, I'm curious. I yeah, know. totally. And so, and to, and to be fair, this is all based on work. Um, Dr. Ablon and his team at Harvard, Dr. Ross Green, Dr. Bruce Perry. So brilliant people came up with a phenomenal approach called collaborative problem solving. It served over a quarter million kids. Their target and their serving as it should be is mental health professionals. What I've done with the RAD protocol is just repackage that to make it easy for us to understand and, and I'm on the board of, of Think Kids, so it's all legit. Um, but repackage it so we can, as parents, can use it, and also repackage some of the lessons. So it's really easy, bite-sized stuff because we're all busy parents. To answer your question, R is for receive, which is really empathy, um, and that is the most important step. I, I will say, if you do nothing else, do this. And it's also not a race to the finish line. As, as parents, we're trying to like finish. There's no finish here. Stay in, stay in R for the rest of your life. You'll serve your kiddos. So if you don't get out of R, it's okay. Uh, the A is for agree. And this is a pivot point where after really hearing your kiddo out, you share the adult concern, the adult concern. And the adult concern is really short, like health, education, wellness. This is not a protocol where we talk a lot. <laughs> um, and then it's dream up. And so after you've done the empathy, your kiddo's really feeling hurt out and safe and calm. You have an agreement, right? You understand the parent expectation and the kiddo understands that too. And then the kiddo solves the problem. And this is part of the, one of the funnest parts of it. So there are a lot of nuggets in empathy. I'll share a specific example here in a sec um, that come up. So the kiddo will solve the problem. And yes, you agree as a parent, that's a, a workable solution. Um, and then you try it out. And that pattern over time, and again, there's tons of double blind studies that show this help your kiddo not go to fight or flight or get unstuck from fight or flight and have that reasoning and have that solutioning. So the next time something comes in, they've got a different pattern for their RAS to pick from. But it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, I can share a specific example if we have time. We'll take Yeah, of course. Okay. So um, one of my clients I won't name um, was working with their kiddo who was really into a certain sport and then stopped being into that sport. 
And they've the, the parental assumption first was, you know, just need to work harder and make them do it. And, and that sort of thing. That's a normal thing that all of us parents would probably do at first. Like, why aren't you doing it? And then you need to do it more and all that sort of command control stuff. They tried the protocol um, and got super empathetic with their kiddo. And they discovered that the reason he didn't want to do that athletic activity is he used to do it with a pro. And they used to have this lunchbox and they used to have a lunchbox break. And he was really excited about the lunchbox break and nothing to do with the sporting event or his excitement about it. He just wanted his lunchbox. Mm. And literally they brought that lunchbox with them and he did the sport full out. And they wouldn't have gotten there. I don't think with just the, you're going to do this or else, right? Mm. Cause the kid was too afraid to share. And maybe wasn't even aware that was a lunchbox thing. I mean, the lunchbox is a, not a big deal, right? That's, that's no skin off our back as parents. We're still in control. And he's enjoying the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's lots of little things and they're just little subtle two millimeter changes that make life so much more fun, right? For your kiddo and for you. I also think too, it, it's so helpful. And I just, for me, self-identifying like the, the predictability nature, you know, the routine, yes. knowing that when I enter this new an environment, whether it's new or not, that there is something there that I can predict yes. that comforts me. Or, or children where they can, so it gives them that courage to say, I'm familiar, I'm a bit familiar with this. Right. And I find that that can be really helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. Sonia, that's a great point. Um, there's also the certainty for those of us with the alphabet soup and our kids' names, blowups can be kind of common and, and we can be panicked about when is school, when that's back in session or a sitter or a camp going to call us and then we have to drop everything. And that's really exhausting, right? We love our kiddos. We're going to do anything for them, but that all the time takes a toll. And this process over time from personal experience and and my clients that dies down quite a bit because they're building that resilience and they don't have to go to that explosion. So there's that certainty too, which is just lovely. Well, and so much of it has to do, Chris, with trust. I mean, as I'm listening to you, if, you know, and you were talking about the predictability, if I can just like kind of putting a bow on it a little bit, when parents get emotional and go out of whack as well, it's not a safe place for kids to be either. And so when they can't predict how you're going to respond to them, and you might fly off the handle or not, or this or that or whatever, but when they know they're going to come to you and they're going to find a compassionate but detached place. Because mm. what's important about empathy, some people mistake, I think, empathy uh, for fixing it. And fixing it and getting inside your child's skin and suffering it with them is not the same as acknowledging, hearing, and, and drawing forth, letting them have an opportunity to, I always think about like trying to empty the cup, get all the yuck out, let them have it out. And now we can fill it back up with the good things and the solutions and the way, the ways that we can move forward. But you can't do that if you're stuck with them. Mm-hmm. So I think I just want to, I mean, I don't know if you have a response, a thought on that or not, but I get so concerned with parents watching them get into the, uh, there was an image that the Dalai Lama talks about where it's, it's like, um, he talks about empathy versus compassion, but, but I think it's all just semantics. Sure, and he sure. says, it's like crawling under the rock with someone and letting it roll on over you as well, or standing on uh, outside the rock and saying, come over here. <laughs> you right. know? Yeah, it's no, it's, it's, so we all have the same brain chemistry. So when we're upset as parents and that happens, it's, not about wrong or right. There's, there's a stressor. We have a response. We can, when we can be pissed off or upset or scared. 
exactly right. When we're in that state, what the brain scans show is your prefrontal cortex is off. So literally, if you've been, you know, angry, so angry, you can't see straight or so sad, you can't see straight. Mm -hmm. That's real. There's no electricity up here. And um, the more we can calm down as parents or even sideline it to later, we're, we have way more facility, right? <laughs> when we're able to do that, um, even if and it, it can be difficult because sometimes our family of origin, anger feels right. Like we have a strength in that anger. It's comfortable, uh, sadly, because we go there, it's our go-to. Um, and you have to untangle that a little bit and like, wait a second, that's not serving me, right? Or my kids. Um, and, and realize we don't have those facilities. All these super smarts we have, we can't even use. Your IQ drops almost 20 points, by the way, when you're in fight, flight, or freeze. So we are dumber, right? When that happens. <laughs> oh, that makes so much sense. <laughs> Chris, you mentioned something about understanding a kid's learning modality. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, totally. So the number one thing parents come to me with is my kids don't listen to me, right? And so there's that empathy part we already talked about, but um, it's important to know we all learn in one of three major ways. And then we have a secondary after that. So visual, auditory, or kinesthetic. Most school is auditory. And if you look at valedictorians, their learning mentality, no surprise, is auditory. Um, go do this, listen to me. You know, all the instructions are auditory. Um, kids on the spectrum in ADHD um, have a way higher chance that they're kinesthetic, meaning hands-on, or um, visual. So they're taking in their information primarily that way. So if you think about, you know, you're, you're talking and their intake is hands-on, they're not able to listen to you, um, literally. So they're little simple things, like uh, if you had a kid that's, you can notice if they're wiggling a lot or really moving a lot or like to have their hands on Legos, or that's a big hint that they're kinesthetic or they can do Legos and talk to you. Um, just something as simple as just gently putting your hand on their back or whatever's comfortable for them and then asking, you're gonna get a way better result because you're honoring their kinesthetic and then they can hear you. Same with, same with visual. So visual kiddos, they like to kind of watch something happen first and then they'll do it. It's almost like watching a YouTube video and then they can do it or, or Etsy and nailing it. <laughs> um, sorry, uh, Pinterest and nailing it, got that wrong. Um, it's the same sort of thing. If you could honor their visual, which can be a picture or a drawing or uh, showing, demonstrating something done and then at, asking them to, you know, demonstrating how to load the dishwasher instead of talking at them, telling how to do it. Mm -hmm. So if you meet your kids where you're at, and that's a slightly different one, but knowing that they could be um, visual or kinesthetic. And one of the reasons they don't listen to you is they really can't easily. Um, that's a big one. And that can be tough, right? If I'm cooking dinner and doing six things at once, you know, sometimes I yell across the room, hey, you know, get water for the table or whatever that is. Um, and it doesn't mean that they can't take that in, but their primary is probably visual or kinesthetic. Um, and that, that plays, of course, into their learning and schooling and everything else as well. If they're struggling in school, I would suggest looking at that as well. And are there ways you can incorporate hands-on learning, visual learning as part of that, or at least as the entree into it? Uh, you'll see a lot of success if you do. I, um, when working, so I have this tool that I love to use. It's called self-portrait, they're power traits. And um, one of the tools that it reveals is modality and um, dispositions. And what I use it for is when parents want to help tutor their teens through something like, I'm an engineer, of course I can help you with calculus, right? 
And so then I'm like, well, let's just do this, this assessment. And so what happens is that there's this big crisscross where the, it does reveal that, okay, usually um, in this case, it was a father who was auditory, loves to explain things as a creator, spiral, doesn't have to think about sequence like A to B to C. Right. The guy likes to explain things, or the father likes to explain things A to Z to C. And then the, the daughter was like producer style, where it's like, I, I have to, first I'm a visual and I need to know things in order of sequence. Mm -hmm. So it was just such a great tool for a ta something tangible for them to understand. It's not that your daughter doesn't like you or because there was a lot of conflict. Sure. Um, it's just that modality was such a, was just so different. And I thought that was such a powerful piece to reveal to this certain dynamic. Absolutely. Well, and Sonia and Chris, I have a, a question for you because I know, so um, working with teen leaders, one of the things that we've been taught is that, that because of the change that is happening in screen time and so on is that it, there's a natural progression where kids today within the first five minutes, if they're not shown a visual of a new concept, mm -hmm. they're likely to not get it. Mm -hmm. Is that, are you seeing, even though that modality is, has always existed, are you seeing much more um, image rich visual or, or even well, obviously kinesthetic well, but, uh, but that idea that if I can't see it, I mean, I they went so far, I had a, somebody suggest, instead of telling my child to clean his room, help him get it clean, take a picture, and then say, mm -hmm. this is what I need it to look like. Mm -hmm. There's a lot going on there. <laughs> so yes. I'll, I'll tell you the, I'll I tell you the 15 questions. No, oh. no, no, you're fine. I meant going on in our brains. Yeah. No, no, your question's great. The, um, I'll tell you the little I know, and there's probably more layers to it, but there are a few things there. One is there are a lot of studies that show that visual, even if you're not a visual person, there's a dopamine rush. Like we get excited about going to our phones. There's like a little dopamine rush, a little addiction there. Um, also there's a, um, there's an arousal that happens um, so we get excited about that and that can be fun for kids. They'll seek that out. So there's that going on as well as um, if, if a kiddo is visual or kinesthetic, they're being met and they're going to be more excited than, you know, wah, 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 Charlie Brown teacher. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's the little, I know um, there's probably a lot more to that. I have seen with the school at home with some, you know, a lot of caveats here for some kids on the spectrum and ADHD, they've done a little better because there's not an expectation that they can't wiggle. They can move around in their chair, right? They can do other things. There's, there's other issues with that much screen time being tough, but um, being able to move around and do things you can't do in a classroom normally because it's disruptive for other kiddos. That's been actually kind of a big win um, for some kids, right? For others, it's been really, really hard and um, they've shut down. So long answer it kind of depends I guess is the short answer right right well I we have I've loved this this has been so fun I feel like we can have um we can have Chris back and talk about I want to talk about all kinds of things like <laughs> the ideas of of letting go of the male ideals you know how we how we've been brought up in the messaging and then being able to embrace the empathy and more more demonstration and more I love it I think it's all so wonderful and so necessary and it's so necessary right now I feel like right now, especially we are in need of so much more empathy, so much more understanding with one another and so much cooperation. Right. True. Yeah, and then Chris, what I just so appreciate is just this purely this authenticity of really establishing meaningful connection with one another. I mean, our, 
our sense of belonging is so important to just humanity, but that parent-child relationship is so core. And I mean, I, it, we totally went off script, everyone. Like, we're like, just, we're leaning in. Like, Chris, just tell us everything, you know. And I am so grateful that you've made this change, that you've made this decided heart moment change. And I know that the world is going to be just so better off for it. So thank you for your courage in switching over. And then we're going to get to your 1,000 plus families a year. So I know that's actually a great segue for how can we'll of course have some contacts and information available in our description, both on YouTube and on podcast, Apple Podcasts, as well as Spotify. And of course, on our social media outlets on Facebook and Instagram. But how would if people want to somebody's sitting there right now and well not right now but in a second <laughs> and they're <Right>. listening <laughs> we're we're right now saying it and saying we need chris we need this help we need to be able to learn to reach our kids on another level aha the switch just went off this is why we're doing this thing where we're missing each other <laughs> how can they get a hold of you what's their first step yeah thank you so much so you from home y-o-u-f-r-o-m from home um, dot com and there'll be a link below is my website we're also on facebook and instagram you'll find us there as well so there's a bunch of blog posts and and other things um we also have have webinars you can watch to see to learn more about this in a little more depth to see if it's a fit uh, if it is there's a link on that to say hey i want to i want to schedule a call and so i always do calls with with everyone just to, to understand their family and, and be really honest with them. Like, okay, I think I can serve you and here's the ways we can do it. Or you know what, I can't, but here's some other awesome things to check out. I don't have a, a one size fits all by this 997 thing and your life will be saved because I think that's not honest or authentic. And I really am here to serve. So it, it's not a cheesy thing, it's really real. And I, I spend the time with the families to, or someone on my staff will to know what they're going through. Of course it's confidential and say, okay, here's some things we can do for you. Generally, that looks like um, I have a digital program with either one-on-one -on -one or group coaching um, for a few weeks, anywhere from six to 12 weeks, depending on what serves the family. And what's cool about online is, of course, we can do that anywhere, anytime. So um, that's the approach. And I'd be honored to serve if that's a fit. And if it's not, I'll certainly connect you uh, awesome people to another place that can do that or give you some ideas. Thank you so much. And this is just a... Fabulous example of what can happen when we have a decided heart, when you lean into what that purpose, that mission that's calling you that will serve the world is all about. I really think our purpose here is to be a purpose. Thank you so much, Chris, for using your talents to be a purpose. And we look forward to joining our listeners and viewers another week with another decided heart interview. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much.